everything from overlanding in your stock rig to full-blown Alice-powered two buggies on stickies. This is the Total Offer of Podcast. I'm Derek. I'm excited that you're listening to episode 191. Nice to podcast with you. Excited that you're listening to. Exciting. I, I got to turn off the thing. Do this. Ah, nice. Uh, did it come through? Yes, it did. It did come through. I heard it, so I hope that means everyone else heard it. You, that's right. That's how it works now. Um, I'm drinking today a high water brewing campfire stout. Does it taste like campfire? Who does it have that smoky goodness? Oh, that'd be amazing. No, I think it's it's a stout that you would drink at the campfire. It says leave you wanting s'more. It doesn't uh, taste like your clothes smell the next day. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it says this beer is best shared with a warm circle of family and friends. Well, Mike, consider yourself a warm circle of family and friends. Although with two points, it's just a line. But I, oh. yeah, you know. No, I. Uh, the I appreciate listeners it. make up the rest of the circle, I guess. But yeah, it's got I have notes to... of chocolate and graham cracker topped with a hint of marshmallow, and that that is accurate. But there's no smokiness to it. Stop. I have I to quickly figure out the name of the beer that I'm drinking right now. It's so new that I'm not even sure that I'm going to be able to figure it out. Is this it? So new. Is it unlabeled? Uh, yes, I found it. I wow. found it. Okay. Well, I tried it. Okay, so it's from a local brewery. It's called Naptronics uh, in Lafayette, Indiana. It is a coffee stout. Ooh. So funny enough, we're both drinking coffee stouts today. Mine now, is a s'more stout, but still close. We're both drinking stouts. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure that, <laughs> that the beer that I'm about to say is the beer I'm having. I know it has the word goblin in it, but I just did a quick uh, Google search. And the name of the beer, at least on Untapped, is What's a Goon to a Goblin? And it is... Oh, this is not it. Nope. I'm reading the description, and that's not it. Okay, so anyway... Oh. Something about a goblin, but I don't know what it is. Unfortunately, their cans aren't labeled, so it's just the bartender writing something on the can. <laughs> and the can says, says, like, two goblin. But I'm pretty sure this is not a breakfast stout with bourbon cold brew coffee. Whoa. But I could be wrong. Well, that sounds great. It This beer is pretty good. And honestly, lately, I've been kind of like, eh, stouts kind of suck. Like, unless it's barrel-aged. I haven't been into it Mm -hmm. and I felt that way for like kind of a long time. And recently I tried this beer before it got released. Like I just happened to be in the bar and the owner was there and he's like, Hey, try this. And I was like, you know, it's okay. But I wasn't like super on board, but then I went back because a friend of mine locally told me that I really should check out the new stouts at Naptronics. I was like, well, okay, Mm -hmm. I guess I'll go give it a shot. And actually it's quite good. So I feel like somehow uh, when it got released, it got better. Maybe just the aging process or something, but yeah. But it was good enough that I bought some to go. That's so good. I'm, I'm back on the stout train. I'm glad that you're back on the stout train. It felt like yeah. I was losing you for a while. I was, man. It was like if it didn't, if I couldn't taste like the bourbon in it, I was like, nah, I'm not even interested in stouts. But but no, you this is got, only 6.4%, I think. You probably got burnt out on them, right? I might have. I did drink a lot of stouts for a long time. Yeah. I haven't had a left-hand milk stout, and I don't even know how long. But I was every time I do, I'm like, yep. Tastes like what I remember, which is like most of college. <laughs> yeah. In a good way. Like some of the things that I drank in college, I'm like, Ugh, never again. Oh, for but, sure. I mean, 
we drank yeah. a lot of uh, Keystone Light back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't mind a Keystone or Bush Light because like they're just tasteless beers. But they. But even Natty Light's the same good. way. It doesn't taste yeah. like anything. Yeah, Natty is probably the least flavorful. Yeah, exactly. It's the most watery. <laughs> For sure. Um. But yeah. Jack Daniels. I remember having oh, a couple man. Of nights on that. I don't ever drink. Why Jack is it Daniels. always Jack Daniels? I don't. I think because it's I like, like everybody cheap enough. It's like it's like not top shelf. It's like mid mid to lower shelf, so a college student can afford it. But it's not like the garbage whiskey, you know, or bourbon. Where is Southern Comfort on that scale? Because I feel like that's what we used to get really tore up on when I was young. Is it cheaper than Jack Daniels or around the same? But it's it's not bourbon. It's Southern Comfort's like, what is that? I don't even know. It's me. I haven't had it since, I don't know, when I was in my Also, I didn't call it early Southern 20s. Comfort. I called it SoCo. Yeah, yeah, we called it SoCo too, but Southern Comfort. I'm doing a good That's search. Southern Comfort Kitchen. Smooth Google. drinking whiskey. I guess it is whiskey. Spiced. No, would it? I guess. No, I mean, they probably yeah. make a spiced version, but I'm pretty sure it's just it's just whiskey. It doesn't have to be bourbon. God, everything yeah. has to be bourbon these days. I, I'm not even going to get on that soapbox. Yep, I got gotcha. you. All right, it drives me let's, insane. We'll, we'll go past it. Get off. Let's don't, get, let's, don't, no, get your, let's, take your toe off of that soapbox, Mike. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> take I'm, a I'm deep off. Breath. I'm off. Okay, <laughs> I, I took a deep breath. Um, I'm gonna be okay. All right, you're gonna be all right. It'll be, all right. be fine. We're not gonna talk about it at all. How annoying it is. Let, let's talk everything about the other alcohol. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> let's talk about the other alcohols that I <laughs> drank in college and now won't drink again. Sky vodka. Oh God, what straight yeah. neat? Like who He's drinks straight. vodka? Yeah. Why? Because I was Dick Freshman, I think, and it was Wait, like the thing. Those are those flavored ones, though, right? Oh, we never drink the flavored ones. We just so drink you were the... drinking just straight up vodka, like not yeah, even a like cool a bottle. Vodka. Oh my God! Derek. It tasted better than Smirnoff, so there's that. No, I think we mixed it into like juice or something. I don't know, but I didn't like beer in my so. freshman year. You know, like when you, I never drank in high school. I very rarely like that I drink in high school. So nobody starts college, on beer. Yeah, exactly. Nobody starts on beer, so I drank vodka, and then switch to beer because i don't want to say nobody does but i even remember okay. like in my Few early people. alcohol days drinking like mike's heart lemonade because it was like oh you know this is alcohol but it doesn't taste like and it's named after you yeah that too so <laughs> cool you're like this is my hard lemonade <laughs> yeah every time um there's one other one that i remember and i don't drink anymore but i can't think about it those are the big ones. But God, drinking vodka, like even oh, people that even very light. good vodka, you don't just drink vodka. Like that's crazy. You're a crazy person. You don't take shots of it. You don't just drink it. You don't sip it. No, it's vodka. Stop it. That's a mixer. I guess. Unless well, you're a dumb college I student. I don't drink vodka even as a mixer anymore. I will drink bourbon on occasion or whiskeys, sometimes scotch too. Um, but yeah, mostly beer now. Mm. Good, I, like good a, I like gin mixed drinks and oh mezcal that's my that's my hard alcohol of choice to drink like neat or oh yeah mixed drink. it's a good. mezcal it's is smoky. just a smoky tequila yeah that's right it's so good some people it don't really like the smokiness, but I, I love it i love smoky things though just in general smoked meats smoke smoky beers smoke tequila and uh good. yeah and scotch this is definitely a and smoky scotch, whiskey yeah. so well usually i mean i shouldn't say always but that's yeah, that's cool to that's cool that you've gotten the scotch. Yeah, not a lot, but it's expensive to keep in the house. But 
That's you know. true. Um, especially good ones. So I don't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, alcohol is fun. You know what it else is. is fun? What's fun, Derek? Patagonia's. <laughs> nope, not even a little bit. Not the new one, not the uh, old one, not any of it. Zero fun. All right. Well, I got to be doing things with a Patagonia today. Um, I've had so, a Patagonia as a spare for like four or five years because I found one on Amazon for like 250 bucks. And I think I had like, at the time I was still using my old like MTR, not Kevlar, MTR. So they were like from 2014 or 2012 or something like that, or maybe even older than that. I don't actually know. Do I still um, have one of those as a spare? You might. I definitely had an MTR from you. Then that could be your spare. Yeah, so I was using one of those as a spare. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I was using one of those as a spare like four or five years ago. Wait, yeah, that it was much older than that. It's like 2008 or 2009, I think is the date code. Oh, God, I need to look at the date code on that tire anyway. You should look at the date code (laughs) on that tire, Mike. (laughs) Um, So anyway, I was like, I got to get rid of this. I found one. on. It was like there was one left in stock on Amazon. And so they're like, okay, we'll sell it for 250 bucks. At the time, it was a pretty good deal. Now that's like unheard of. And so I bought it. It's a spare. It's a little bit smaller than 40 inch. It's also a pretty narrow spare. So like, it's great as a spare. It fits in the bed. doesn't take up as much space as like my Mickey Thompson. I kept it as my spare. Um, my plan for a long time was to go to the 42s and I was just going to buy five and spend like $4,000 on them. Eesh. Um, yeah, but they're not out yet. And so I wanted, but when I did that, I wanted to have a fifth beadlock. I only have four. Well, now I have five. Um, I reached out to Raceline, got one more of the beadlocks that I, I matched my beadlocks and, um, yeah. They, Did you have they a made... clear powder coated to match? So big sigh, because <laughs> you remember how the lug nut bores on my wheel look different than yours? Oh yeah. So my lug nut bores, you know, they they drilled in and then they like took the the mill, the end mill and they went towards the center bore of the wheel. It was because we it, did different backspacing, right? Yeah, it was because we did different backspacing. And so or at least that might be why, but I think it was just it was a small, you know, kind of a the hub bore is really big on these wheels. It's like 4. Point five or 4.75 inches and i don't remember exactly it's big i think it's bigger, bigger than, than the that Dana. yeah it might be i think it's just to fit the biggest hub that you could ever put you yeah, know, yeah. On six and a half on and so like it's way bigger than the gm 14 bolt and the dana 60 that i'm running and it's fine because they're lug centric right they've got tapered seats um, yeah it works so there wasn't a lot of meat there and i think that they were like well we don't want like a knife edge there so we just they, they took it straight in and it looked kind of weird, but like, it's not really that noticeable. Well, the fifth one does not have that. And even though, <laughs> even though it's a five inch backspacing, it's like five and an eighth. So I think I'll just leave it as a fifth spare and I won't rotate it through. I'll just have five tires that, you know, and that one won't be powder coated because I don't live in a salty state anymore. I guess that's true. So, but what I did do mm. is... I reached out to Rich at Complete Off-Road, also Key City Plating, and I sent him, I bought a set of, well, four extra 
bolt kits from Raceline, and then the new wheel came with bolts as well. I sent them all to him, and they have been black zinc powder coated, or not powder coated, black zinc plated. Um, and so now I can get rid of my either zinc plated or gun blued. Um, You're very rusty hardware. Yeah, my very rusty heart. Well, I, I would constantly like re-oil it after going on off-road trips to keep it from like excessively rusting. Um, but yeah, my very rusty hardware, or I, I ended up keeping my yellow, you know, yellow chromate zinc plated ones and swapping those on when I put the Maxxis tires on. And so um, I will eventually swap those out. But the the spare has the the black zinc plated hardware. And it's a brand new race line and it looks so good. It's so good. So shiny. So good. No, no powder coat, but who cares? I mean, the only problem being that you put a really, really garbage tire on there. Yeah, I know. Um, Guess what though, Mike, I live out on the West coast now and they do fine out here. Uh, (laughs) There's no wet rocks. You know, the reason that tire does so well for you as a spare is because it's so hard that it just doesn't get all tore up like a nice soft sticky tire. I guess. I mean, it's 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 softened up now that I've gone on two wheeling trips with it. If you if you could believe it. I mean, I'm not surprised that it's lasting because, you know, hard tire will do that. But yeah, I'm but surprised that you're going up things. Yeah. What? I mean, sidewalls. They're known for having weak sidewalls, I thought. Oh, I don't really know anything about that. I don't either. Um, anyway, I it's just mine failing. I just hated the traction. Yeah, I don't I don't notice it. Let's put it that way. Um, I would say when I was on the Rubicon going up soup bowl, it was like the, it was the one that was holding me back from, you know, walking it. So I don't, not giving it all the praise, but it is also the old style Patagonia. The new ones are supposedly better, but I'm not a, I'm not a convert here. Don't get me wrong, but it, I chose to leave it as a spare, even though I have some super bald Mickey Thompson's that I could have used as a spare as well. I guess maybe if you run it at like one PSI, it might do okay. Well, I won't be doing that because I think that's where I got my my blowout when I was on Ford Ice or my my ripped sidewall on Ford Ice was a pinch flat because we were going at eight. We were going at a pretty good pace, um, maybe like 15 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour. And I rolled over like, I guess I I didn't see it. It was just like a, a root that was sticking out of the ground, but it was like a substantial root. And the way it like I could see on the inside of the tire when I took it off, when I got home, there's like a little bit of aluminum scraping on the inside of the tire. So like right next to the tear. And so that means that like the aluminum bottomed out on the inside of the tire and something had pushed it, the the other part of the tire up past it. So I think it literally was like a scissor or like the oh, edge wow. of the, the inside of the tire and then whatever was on the ground, the root like cut it and then it lost, lost all the air and that was it. So it was literally like a pinch flat, like you'd get on a bike, but mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I'm probably going to be, I, I did the rest of Ford Ice at like 15 PSI. That's so brutal, think, man. Yeah. I mean, it did fine traction wise. So I think I'll probably stick around like 10 or 11 or something like that. And I mean, your rig is extra heavy. So you running 10 heavy. might be like everybody else running five, you know, like who knows? That's definitely true. I, I felt the difference at 15, but I never really noticed a difference at eight versus 10 or 11. So I'll just stick a little bit higher. The, the Maxxis tires are eight years old so they're not like great but hopefully they last um yeah and i uh my plan for the longest time was to run 42s and i don't think i'm gonna do it oh really yeah 
Ask me why. But 42s are so cool, Derek. Don't you want to be so cool, Derek? I am going to miss out on the cool factor. I yep. have to admit mm-hmm. that was, that was mm-hmm. part of the reason why I wanted to do it, but I did the Rubicon. I did four dice. I did chocolate thunder at Johnson Valley. There aren't that many harder trails out here. Um, and I was riding up to four dice with, uh, Pavel, my coworker, and we were kind of talking about it. And I think <laughs> on the way back is when we really like it sealed the deal. I was like, if I go to 42s. Things are just, they're going to be too easy. Like, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it would gain me anything going to 42s minus the cool factor. And it would certainly cost a lot more. So it would cost a lot more and you'd probably have to trim a little more and you know, yep. you might need to adjust some things. Cause I know how you're uh, very meticulous about your rig. The whole front end needs to be redone, which I probably would do anyway. I think I, I plan to do that. I plan to go to a nice set of shocks that are tuned for the rig. Cause that's the, that's the next big thing that I need to address on the truck is like shocks don't do anything on it right now. Um, I mean, they're fine for the road, but that's it. Like anything where I'm like bouncing around on, on stuff, it's, it's awful. I'm bottoming out all the time and, um, it's, it's not a good, it's not enjoyable. And so, um, I think that'll be my next big project on it. I don't know if I'll link it or not, but once I have a set of very expensive shocks that are capable to be coilovers. It'll probably be an easy argument to just link it. But, uh, but yeah, um, I think I'm going to stick with forties. I might, now that I'm talking through this, I might've mentioned this on the last episode, but I haven't decided which, um, I like the Baja bosses, but if I'm not going to go 42s, then I don't know that I need to try those tires again. They were great. Um, but, uh, and I really like the Maxis Trepidors. They seem to, they're, be quiet and they seem to work really well i think right now i'm leaning towards maxis razors or maxis trepidor bias flies and now i know that we mentioned this before because the bias flies are like <laughs> close to 900 dollars a tire in 40 inches so i probably will not do that because that's a lot of money it is a lot of money but uh it'd be a whole lot of traction it would be a whole lot of traction it would look so cool I personally don't have an issue running bias fly tires, even on the highway. It's fine, but I'm also not driving as far as you typically. Like right now, I drive to the Badlands. It's like no big deal. Yeah. I mean, they'll wear faster probably, but I don't know if it's the distance that that bothered me when I lived in Chicago. It was like, Maxis specifically states on their website, don't drive below 32 degrees. Now that I'm in California, it doesn't get below 32 degrees or maybe it does, but it's like gets into like the high 20s. Like it doesn't get into the minus, you know, temperatures. And so whatever happens to the rubber at those cold temperatures is not likely to happen in in California. So um, that is and then I also have a heavy truck. So I think the flat spotting won't be a big deal. It'll probably go away within like a mile or two when I do drive it. So it definitely does shake pretty bad until it goes away, but it is typically pretty fast. Yeah. Well, if they were uh, cheaper, it would be a no-brainer, but they are still quite expensive. The The Razors are like under $600 a tire. The Trepidors are like close to $900 a tire. So that's that's a hard sell. Yeah, I mean, easily over $1,000 difference. I mean, I get it. Yep. Plus, you'll get more life out of the radials. And honestly, you've wheeled with radial tires on your truck for so long and been pretty yeah. successful at it that, like, do you really need to go bias? You'd probably be unstoppable on bias. All the lines that you couldn't take before, you would just take. <laughs> That's probably true. Traction's I mean, not a 
you know, a limiting factor anymore. Yeah, that's true. Um, then I guess that goes back to the argument of 42s versus 40s because it's like, well, would the bias supply tires just make things too easy? So, but they look so good. And they're also directional, which I don't love. I mean, I have the mm, Trepador radials yeah. right now and I'm like, why are they directional? Like, couldn't they have, well, they, they probably are quieter because they're directional. I don't know. How directional works, is but. annoying because then if you have a matching spare and does like doesn't always work and you can't necessarily rotate it in because it'd be backwards half the time, especially right. in bead logs. You can't like flip it around easily. I mean, it's hard to flip a tire around no matter what, unless you have a tire machine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big would, pain in the ass that most people wouldn't want to do it. I would argue that flipping a tire around on beadlocks is easier if you don't have a tire machine. Oh, because you don't then, need a tire machine. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I just, I'd spent way longer taking off, taking the, the Patagonia off the Hummer H2 wheel than I did, than I would have taking it off of a beadlock just because of the second, getting a, getting the second bead off is hard for me for some reason. Oh, no, it's just hard. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I have access to a tire machine, so I can't say that I've done it yeah. a lot of times. But yeah, it does suck. I have access to one at work, but it still probably took me less time to just dismount it at home. Okay, hold on, though. We're talking about dismounting. Mounting, however, if you have to hand torque 32 or 64, however many bolts there are in a damn beadlock ring, then no. Yeah. Time-wise, I mean, it's definitely cheaper. Or not cheaper. <laughs> it's definitely easier to dismount and mount a non beadlock even if you know. use spoons or pry bars or whatever it's still easier i don't think so okay fine time wise maybe less physically physical effort, physical labor wise i think it's less like my yeah, back maybe. hurts so much more like i just had to swap it like when i got back from four dice i had the patagonia on i was like i'm gonna take this trepidor off and put the the fifth trepidor back on i think i did it in like 40 minutes in the dark. It didn't take very long. Versus taking the Hummer tire off and putting it on. It probably took me close to an hour to put it on the beadlock. Um, mm. But that included more time to take it off the Hummer wheel. But okay. I also haven't done tire work on a non-beadlock in my driveway in a long time. So I don't know. They're You're close. well versed in it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's close. It's not that big of a deal, but. Yeah. One trick I have for tightening the beadlock is to just take a little piece of duct tape and put it on like the bolt heads of like four or eight of them and just boom, bang, boom all the way around. Makes it easier because you can just like click, 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 click. And then you do that, whatever 32 times four is or 32 times three is. You're Quickly. saying because you have a reference point for where you started? Yeah. I mean, you can That's go around. Idea. They tell you to go crosswise though, so. But if you just went around, it's really fast, right? Oh, I 96. guess I've never done that. I've always gone across, like yeah, I, like you said. Yeah, I always do across too. So, because um, why not? I drive it on the street, do whatever to make it consistent and hold air and do all that stuff. So, indeed. Yeah, that's my that's my shenanigans. Otherwise, I uh, <laughs> fix the bumper that I didn't dent <laughs> and put the parking light back in. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I did a little bit of welding today. What'd you do? Well, as many of you know, I tow with a lowered truck. And a long time ago, when I lowered the truck, I had to cut the bump stops completely off because 
when you do an axle flip, the axle is way too close to the frame for a factory GMT 900. 900? That's what I have, right? Yeah. 900 bump stop because it's like not only like a lifted, like a metal like plate, but then there's the rubber on the bottom of it. And even if you took all of it off, it's still very close. So I had some leftover Tacoma bump stops uh, from a recall, you know, parts that would have been thrown away. I was like, these will probably work. I modified those. By the way, when you're cutting a bump stop down and it's rubber, don't use a cutoff wheel. That, uh, Why not? <laughs> well, a couple of reasons. One, it completely fills your shop with smoke, which I, I kind of <laughs> knew was going to happen. Yep. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was it disintegrated the wheel and sent it like into the ceiling. Thankfully, oh. not like my face or a truck or something. Uh, I wasn't expecting that to happen because I'm pretty sure I've cut rubber with a cutoff wheel before. But for some reason, this rubber must have just been extremely hard or something. Wow. Yeah. Or so, maybe too soft. Or, yeah, maybe may, or whatever the case, it grabbed and it shredded it. But I mean, I was oh. standing out of the way. I mean, I was wearing lots of PPE. It was fine. That's good. So but something funny, I did funny. learn, and I've never tried this before. A hacksaw. Oh. To cut rubber. Like, I had never thought of it. I just went and grabbed the yeah. hacksaw out of the toolbox. Like, it's just a metal blade on it, and it just cut right through it. That's awesome. They were too um, tall. Yeah. So you cut it down. I cut it down. Uh, I needed... I Probably, I'm not even sure I cut it enough. I gave myself just over an inch clearance, like, at right height. But oh, it was going to be touching before. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't exactly know how that's going to go. But either way, I uh, cut them down. I kind of, you know, I took a, a flap wheel and ground down the edges to make them, you know, nice and pretty and look factory-ish. Mm-hmm. And it's a piece of rubber that's like impregnated into a steel plate. Mm-hmm. So I just, uh, since there wasn't really a good way to attach them otherwise, I just uh, ground the frame and ground the edges to get nice clean metal. And I welded them, well, welded the plates carefully, obviously, to not melt the rubber to the frame of the truck that shot a little paint and now i have bump stops that's awesome so if for some reason the bags were to fail which you know hopefully they don't i won't just be literally axle on frame on my drive home at least i'd have something to cushion the ride don't get me wrong it'd be bad but it would be less bad um interesting fun fact i guess about the the factory chevy bump stops is that they're a foam rubber Mm. So it's like a closed cell phone, but the outside is looks smooth. So if you were to if you were to have cut the GM bump stops, you probably would have been upset because I I don't know what happens if you just leave it open. I assume they get for a while. I probably cut, not great. Cut a set off, or I cut a I cut up a set that I took off of it because they were kind of junky. Just to see, like, well, what if I cut them off? You know, like cut them hey, down Derek, or something like that. What? Will you check your microphone's connection because your volume is like rapidly changing, like up and down? You're like, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. maybe better now. Nope, still did it. Huh? I don't know what to do about that. Let me turn on. Let me turn but off. It's, you're not. The thing is, you're not cutting out your volume is just instantly going from like the level i'm used to to very quiet is it doing it now no i turned off noise suppression maybe that was what it was oh maybe that's what it was i don't know it was uh, weird if it happens again let me know and i'll okay we'll do we, we know it wasn't noise suppression um so yeah bump stops are fun they're important maybe they're important i don't have them on the back of my truck but i was looking at my shocks and there's like a little bit of shaft that is just so dirty 
And I'm like, well, I have never bottomed out the shocks, so that's good. <laughs> is it that, or is it that the shock is internally bumped, and that's as far as it can literally travel? Maybe. If, most if good case, shocks, most monotubes have like at least some sort of bump inside, internal limiter, like so that you won't know. destroy the shock when it like fully compresses. These are Bilstein uh, 5125s. I want to say the Skyjacker M95s have that. I feel like that they was do. a feature. Yeah, they do. Now, I don't know if it's a bump on both ends, like both at full extension and full bump, or, or if it's just one or the other, but I remember that it has at least one of those. Mm. And similarly, zero bump stops on Stoday. If I get twisted up enough, the frame will contact the leaf spring, like the little plate that sits on top of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like pretty rare. I mean, it would have to be like as flexed as possible, like one will hang in. Their website doesn't say anything about it, so probably not. Hmm. Actually, no, the front the fronts definitely go to zero shock shaft shock shaft showing, so I think they don't have it. Okay. Well, and only just... when I flex though, because like my bump stops, they're pretty narrow. So when they hit, there's inches of shock shaft showing. But when I'm like slowly flexing it's like the bump stop is smashed but also the shock is fully compressed mm-hmm. you know what i mean because like the shock is further out yeah, the yeah. Bump stop, so yeah that's fun <laughs> i don't know for some reason on a trail rig i'm just like ah bump stops like eh, i don't need them who cares about that i mean that's the thing though because like out here like the the trail riding is like littered with nuisance rocks is what i would call them like they're basket tire goes up on them and then it drops off quickly and then your volume sorry. is still rapidly changing sorry about yeah maybe maybe it's because i'm touching the mic so i'll try and stop touching it i don't know man it's something's going on rapidly changing still no right not now. right now it's not but I after you touching it so maybe the cord's bad oh maybe that's it i don't know all right so anyway um yeah it you go up and you come down and it's like the bump stops fully compressed and the frame hits the rock and it's 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 a brutal ride. Probably not great for the truck. Like it's just I need new shocks. I guess I've just I'm never afraid. had that. But then again, my truck's not that heavy. So I'm sure the generic valving in a M95 is probably fine for me, whereas it's whatever valving this in a fifty one twenty five is not enough for you. Yeah, I think I mean I had them ninety fives for a short stint there. They were fine. I feel like the Bill Steins perform just a little bit better. So I kept those. Cool. So, But you're going to have to go get you some coils, some coil over shocks without the coils. That's right. Threaded bodies up front, smoothies out in the rear, because I don't plan on linking the rear. Um, and then someday I can link the front and do coilovers. So just the shocks themselves... Because of the custom valving, they're extremely expensive. Like 10 times the price of like a shock I don't absorber. Think it's necessarily because of the custom valving. I think that's, you know, that's a that's an expense. But like if you just look up the price of the shocks, they're like over four hundred like I think over five hundred dollars a piece for 14 yeah, inch travel, so, two point five inch shocks. So what makes okay, like I get a coil over. Like it's both the coil and it's got, you know, all threading and like a little sleeve and like it's mm-hmm. it does all the things. It supports the vehicle and it and it dampens, you know, the terrain. But what is it about a coil over if you take the coil away, what makes that worth ten times more than a shock absorber? 
Uh, well, I don't think they're 10 times more, but it's like well, five, 50 bucks five for times. a shock or 500 for a shock. That's 10 times. Pay 50 bucks for your M95s. They're like, I did not for M95s, but a regular ass shock absorber. Well, like, okay, fine. Economies of scale, right? They, they make so many more regular shocks, including like Bill Stein 5125s and M95s in 14 inch than they do fully rebuildable threaded body coilovers. Okay. Fully um, rebuildable. There's a feature. Well, that's not just a feature. Think about all of the parts that need to be take apartable, right? The the shock eye at the end of the shaft, it's threaded and it has a jam nut and the shock shaft has threads on it rather than like the Bilstein 5125s. They just have the eyelet welded onto the end of the shock shaft. True. Um, inside the shock, right? I don't know how the, the valving is put together on a Bilstein 5125 or an M95, but it's probably like, snap together, never come apart, throw it away when it's broken, whereas yep. these are fully rebuildable forever. So they've got circlips and grooves and all this stuff machined into them. And, you know, it's just a lot more parts. It's a lot, a lot more machine work. And so that all adds up from a cost standpoint. And then also, like, they sell less of them, right? So they have to be able to pay for their overhead and all the extra labor, and they probably have to pay the people that are building these more because they're not made in China. <laughs> and so, it's all like, right, so... Custom valving be damned. Let's just say that I decided I want a really nice set of shocks, but I'm mm -hmm. already happy with my damping. I could go out and buy a set of these shocks that we're referring to here for, say, 500 bucks a piece. They do exactly the same thing that mine do now, but they cost a lot more because they're rebuildable. They Do they give me any other advantage? Yes, they also have more fluid in them and more surface area, so they heat up more slowly or they they have a lower temperature. If like you're on really aggressive terrain and like constantly, you know, cycling them up and down, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like you're bahaing. Yeah. Well, not even if you're bahaing. I felt my shocks when I was coming back and making a good pace on the Rubicon, and I couldn't hold my finger on there for more than a second. They were so oh, wow. Bad. Yeah, Damn. it's serious. What do you think about I it? Like, it's never got <laughs> It totally makes sense. I've just never, I don't think I've ever thought to myself, I'm going to grab that shock. Like sometimes you think about like, I wonder how hot that exhaust is, but you don't want to burn your hand. But I've never yeah. once thought to myself, I wonder if my shock is hot as shit. It's not as hot as the exhaust, but it was pretty dang hot. <laughs> um, another thing. That's shocking, Derek. Nice. Mm. The, the ones that I'm looking at also have an external reservoir. So there's extra parts there. Um, I think if you get like an emulsion 2.5, they're like, Three times as expensive as a Bill Stein, you know, or an M95. What does emulsion do for you? It, there's no, so the way that the external reservoir shocks work is there's a piston that separates the gas charge from the oil. And so that keeps the oil from getting, you know, bubbles in it. Whereas emulsion shocks, they just pressurize the whole chamber. So, I mean, in theory, you could have an area of the shock where the gas is kind of mixed in you get bubbles in it. Could reduce performance. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a shock expert, but there's a reason why people pay the extra for the external reservoir. So, yeah. are those guys also like taking like 80 foot jumps off of like something at like 85 miles an hour? Like, are those the guys that know, pay the should, extra? We should or have regular Bray. guys pay the extra. We should have Bray on because he went from like just off the shelf, like Rancho 9000s to like a good set of Fox shocks. And he said it was like a night and day difference. And he doesn't do like Baja stuff. He just does crawling like we do. That's true. But he's got coil overs like, cause three length, right? Right. Yeah. He, um, 
He I'm sure he redid it a few years ago. And it now was Coil and Shock, and then he redid it with Coilovers. Yeah. Probably for packaging reasons, but it's still a good comparison, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you would feel the difference. I mean, not just the geometry of the suspension, but I mean, the way that it absorbs things exactly. is definitely going to be pretty solely dependent on the shocks. Yeah, because what, what does a coilover get you that a coil and shock don't? Packaging. In some, yeah, some vehicles, like true. I think Dodge Rams have the shock inside the coil. It's not a yeah. coilover. Well, a lot of Jeeps do that too. Yeah, it's yeah, just... Jeeps, exactly. So... Yeah, and for packaging, that makes sense. Although the coil is much larger, typically, in that application than it would be on a coilover. True. Um, another thing is tunability for dual rate shocks. So you can like have two shocks and then your coilover has like a slider on it. So that you can have like, or sorry, two springs on your coilover. Mm-hmm. You can adjust the rate of each of them independently. Whereas like, coil and shock you know from the factory they usually are dual rate and they you can see if you look at the the coil it's got like a few like mm-hmm. rotations where they're really close together and then they go further apart and so that's a dual rate coil but you can't tune that you can't like take out the, the lower rate section and switch it with something else so there's yeah. just more tunability with the coil over which is probably why you see them on aftermarket vehicle or like you know modified vehicles so much because it's like everybody's doing their own R and D, right? Like there's no formula for like Chevy didn't make an 8,000 pound Silverado with a roll cage in it and a winch and solid front axle, right? Like this is all new territory. Which is why you basically need the expertise or the, just the personal R and D. Like if you're going to, okay, you're going to go out and buy a set of coilover shocks. You're not just going to buy someone and have them shipped to you. You're going to like talk to somebody and say, these are all the things I need this to do. Because I don't want to spend right. this money twice. That's right. So I'll talk to a shock tuner like like AccuTune or uh, Derek Millard recommended somebody else. Um, I forget who, but I'll check back through my notes and see who he recommended and probably give them a call and say, hey, you know, I've got these, you know, I want to do this with these shocks and like, here's my rig and here's my corner weights. And honestly, like I've needed to rebuild my leaf springs for a while, both front and rear, especially the rears. Um mm-hmm. And so I think what I'll do is I'll just jack the truck up, take the leaf springs out. And while that's there, I'll figure out what the corner weights, the unsprung corner weights are. And then once it's all put back together, get the sprung corner weights and then it can subtract. Like here's the vehicle weight, not including that unsprung weight. And then here's the unsprung weight. Damn. Cause that's what they need to know, right? They need to know what the unsprung and the sprung weight is. And then like roughly where and how the shocks will be mounted. If they're vertical, that's different than if they're at an angle because mm-hmm. the shock is less effective at an angle. So, and I don't really know how all the dynamics work, but I do know that there's like high speed damping, low speed damping where like high speed would be like a pothole or like, you know, something in the road. Whereas low speed would be like, I'm taking a turn or I'm going over a wood at, at a lower speed. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, and then there's rebound and all that jazz. So, it's fun. I, I actually I'm kind of excited too, because then I can like be like, okay, like this this tune worked out really well, but like if I could change this, like, oh, there's too much rebound or there's too little rebound or whatever, like that would just make it perfect. And then someday, you know, when the shocks were out, get it revalved slightly different. And basically knock it out of the park where it's just the absolute perfect damping for any situation. Yeah. And since I'm gonna do this, like 
I can get more up travel if I relocate my steering box forward, which I was going to do for, you know, going to 42s anyway, because I was going to move the whole axle forward. So I'll move that forward and make sure that I actually am like setting up the shocks so that I can, you know, get them roughly in the middle of travel and get more up travel. And that'll help too. Cause right now I have like no up travel. It's like three inches total or something. Oh, like square up travel. Like just if you were to bump, not like articulated yeah, I mean, up travel. I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to get it perfectly square. Like if I had 14 inch travel shocks, I don't know. If I'll be able to get seven inches of up travel, but if I can get like five, that would be a huge difference. Thing is, I have like three right now. I feel like up travel is, at least in my situation, I think it's limited just by vendors and stuff. Like the reason, like, I mean, they just, I couldn't fit the tires if I were to have any more. So I think that yeah. I focused on having the shocks have more down travel than up when I put them on. Yeah, mine is the, the Pitman arm will hit the diff pumpkin. So it's limited by that right now. So if I scoot it forward, the Pitman arm, I mean, yeah, then it misses it. Mm. it can go higher and then then i think it's the oil pan but i was like three inches away from the oil pan but yeah i I think in articulation if i suddenly have a a ton more up travel i'll probably get into like right now it rubs on the shock towers but i can fix that with i have to redo the shock towers because these shock towers are nowhere near strong enough to support the weight of the rig and stronger dampers Oh yeah! If you were going to link it and do coilovers this right. this go around, then absolutely. Yeah, I don't even think yeah. these. I don't even think these shock towers could support stronger damping. I think that like one of them started to crack, one of the welds started to crack. So I'm like, I'll just redo them wow. with like some really quality ones. Cody Bennett, um, he's Bennett Built is his company. He's down in Texas. He actually was he started shortening his rig before mine, um, and he just finished it. <laughs> But he he started a business in between, and he actually is taking it to SEMA show. Um, he's there now. He's got a nice. I think it's an O three. It's an O three and O five Silverado. Um, that is shortened wheelbase. But he's now got you know roll cage in it and like awesome paint job and Mickey Thompson Baja Pro X forty threes and O five act Super Duty axles and and all this. I mean, it's really beautiful and really well built. Um, but uh, Wait, what was I saying? Oh, he he was using Artec um, shock towers, and they looked really nice. He said he had to modify them a little bit for his application, but they it looked they looked really nice. And I'll probably go that route unless there's a better another better design. So, yeah. so Steve and I were talking a little bit about quality parts last week. I was telling him I really need to install those leaf springs that you gave me. The sixty threes that are they're factory ninety nine to twos, right? They're the ones out they of your truck. Are, they are factory ninety nine to sixes. I don't okay. remember what they came out of exactly, but they were at what year? I mean, they were a twenty five hundred, not HD. So okay. the fifteen hundred shot uh, leaf springs that I had, I think, had two leaves in an overload. And I think the ones I gave you were four leaves, no overload, but I took the overload out. Yeah, yeah, I would leave it out. So, it's trail rig. Yeah, the 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 GMT eight hundred non, uh, or the fifteen the half ton GMT eight hundred leaf springs were a little bit too weak for my rig. So you might they might be too stiff for snow day. Um, I might need to pull another leaf out of them. Yeah, but try them first. I was pleasantly surprised with how well they flexed. Yeah, 
I mean, right now I've probably got four or five leaf springs because they're just the factory leaves out of the out of the truck, just move forward. Yep. So yeah, I'd have to try them, but that kind of sucks. You know, you have to like fully install them, like set it down, and be like, well, it's got crazy well, rake. And now you have to pull you also, it out. You also should drive it first and see like how does it flex and stuff. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. I guess I could always make a quick trip over to the Badlands just to see how I like it. But yep. if I'm gonna commit. I mean, I got to drill out my uh, my front hanger holes to 16 millimeter, right? That's right. Yep. So, yeah, if I'm going to I'm going to do it, then I'm committed to running a, uh, a new body style spring. I mean, which you I think put, is the same like, width and everything. You could put a sleeve in it like. Oh, I guess that's true. You could put it would be like a 16 millimeter OD sleeve with like a 14 millimeter ID. So it'd be real thin, but mm, you could I do prefer it. not to. Yeah, but either way, yeah, my leaf springs are pretty tore up. The bushings are tore up. The the shackles actually is the reason I started talking about this. I still have the factory shackles, and they are so bent, like they're just like folding over. Because of course they are. They're you know meant to be in what tension, and they're in compression, or is it opposite? Yeah, and like you're banging them on rocks and stuff, and yeah. I should really just have fabricated shackles, and the ones I'd been looking at, and I can't remember if this is your suggestion or just something I'd found, uh, was ORD super shackles. I run those. Yeah, they're like quarter inch. They seem like they're super beef. Um, they're pretty expensive. Like just the kit alone is one hundred and thirty three dollars. Mm-hmm. But is is that just the price for quality, or are there both better and worse options out there? I mean, the nice thing about those, they come like powder coated, and they're really nice quality. I will say this: I love off road design stuff. I'm running those shackles. I'm running them as a compression shackle. They hang down a lot. I hit them all the time. And I haven't touched them since Ultimate Adventure. Um, but finally, I'm like, I got to take those off and <laughs> bend them and fix them. Because, like, I've hit rocks on that, like, quarter-inch steel edge so many yeah. times that it's, like, bending and destroying the bushing yep. and bending into the leaf spring eye. So my recommendation for you is before you even put them on, get some washers or something to like thicken up that edge that's exposed and like weld it on there. And then that mm. weld will also help strengthen them just to keep it from bending. They're, the shackle itself is structurally sound. It's just that like edge of it that's like starting to bend in because it's been banged on like hundreds, if not thousands of rocks, not hundreds of rocks. I mean, I get it. I mean, imagine what my factory stamped steel shackles yeah, look exactly. like after being banged on hundreds of exactly. rocks. Um the the ones I had before were like sky, I think, and they were three eighths instead of quarter. But they still had issues. So yeah. I would say just reinforce it before you put them on if you can. You'll need probably longer Stop touching your microphone. Sorry. You'll probably need longer bolts unless uh yours are long enough. I, I bought the offer design bolts too that are they like drill them across and put a greaser in. And so you can grease the bushing if you have what you're, you're going to use. If you're using the leaf springs I gave you, they don't have greasable bushings. They just have rubber. So you're fine. You don't need those. Yeah. I think that I would just leave. Well, I guess I think the shackle kit I was looking at came with two greasable bolts um, and two and bushings just for the shackle side, not for the leaf spring side. Okay, yeah, then so those, you'll be fine with that. Probably the route I would go, but 
the one thing, and maybe you can tell me differently, I am not a fan of the style of, I don't know if they're polyurethane, rubber, whatever, the style of bushing where you have two halves and they push in, like, just by mm-hmm. hand. I feel like those just don't last. The, the offer design ones last longer. They they have, like, Kevlar reinforcements in them. I don't okay. know, if it's like, the way they're molded, but but they're nicer. Um, but you've had them for years. They've, they're not, like, just falling apart because the last ones I put in my leaf springs are just falling apart. They're not falling apart. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. I mean, the ones that are towards the back, the, the rear leaf spring eye are pretty tore up because the shackles kind of, and the rocks are tearing them up. But yeah, functionally they work still. Okay. That's good to know because that was going to be my one gripe. Uh, Cause I really like a press in rubber bushing because they just last so long. I mean, I wouldn't replace them on the leaf spring if like they were still good on mine. So, Oh yeah, those look fine. I think I'm just going to leave them alone. I don't have any intention of messing with those bushings. Yeah. I wish I, cause I have Alcan rear leaves and I couldn't find a press in rubber bushing for them. So I had weird limited to the, the polyurethane ones. So I, I got the offer design ones that have the Kevlar or whatever in them. And so far so good. That's good to hear that they lasted you at least a while. Because yeah. that style of bushing, when I put them in, it was almost immediately they started like, you could tell they were just kind of like done. Oh, shit. Like they fit really well. Like, I mean, you know, I had the the little sleeve still in there, the like tiny stamp steel sleeve and put them in yeah. and greased them up. And like, they just kind of right off the bat was like, ooh, that's not good. Like, I don't yeah, know. I don't I even know what brand they were. I bought them a million years ago, but. I even had to drill out the front ones because I'm running GMT 400 springs on mine and I have a larger hole in the frame, the M16. So I ended up taking the actual like polyurethane bushing and drilling it out and putting in the larger sleeve and they're still fine. Yeah, and they're still fine. You were able to drill the polyurethane bushings? They didn't just like want to flex around the bit? They were like... Yeah, I, I think, what did I do? I think I put them in the leaf spring so that, it, like, the friction would hold it in place. Oh, right, that makes sense. You know, it's like a collet holder almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build them and, like, got it as straight as I could. Yep, that's all <laughs> you can do. Perfect, but it's all I can do, exactly. And and I think also, because they have that, like, Kevlar, that aramid fibers randomly, you know, injected into them, they're they're a little bit harder. Which so makes like, them easier to drill, yeah. Makes them easier to drill. The drill bit doesn't bite as much, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Alcans. For some reason, I thought you had Deavers. Are they a similar spring in, like, function? Uh, I mean, they were designed for somebody else's truck. Um, guy I know sold them to me for a great deal. Um, and so they're not, like, perfect, but they are good. You know, I think that the 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 idea with Alcans or Devers or Atlas is more thinner leaves. They're less likely to break. Um and they're more tunable and they're more progressive and there's like a whole bunch of reasons for it, right? Especially if you have an anti-wrap bar um because they, you know, control that controls the wrap too. So they're fine. They're not designed for my rig, but they're okay. I think I do want Devers or Atlas or Alcans that are tuned for a tension to go back to a tension shackle that has a little bit more arch to it. Like they're still pretty flat right now. Um, and having a little bit more arch, not like a ton, but a little bit more arch will help 
down travel. And then also the shackle will last longer. I guess you would have quite a bit more down travel and attention set up. Yeah, because it it, it angles forward. Because it can add fall forward. Yeah, Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, Stephen Watson showed me that on his um, Ultimate Adventure like rig, the GMT 400. It's got like the 454 and the NV 4500 single cab with like a tube bed. I guess with the tension shuffle, you'd be less likely to come down on them too because the leaf yep. spring itself would set much higher. Now, granted, the part of the shackle that's in tension that's attached to the frame would still be lower, but not nearly as low that's right. as a shackle flip. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. That's my. So you'd almost need like some lift. You need some lift leaf springs to be able to go back though. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Because we pick up our lift. Well, at least I picked up my lift by doing a shackle flip, and that's like just what lifted the rear. So, yeah, I see what you mean. Yep. Hmm. So, that's the plan. But but those are expensive, too. And they're also like, I don't know if it's still like this, but I had them quote during during COVID. I think they wanted like four or five months lead time. Oh, wow. So, several months. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, dang, that's a long time. Okay, well. So very expensive, and you have to wait very long. It might not be like that anymore. I haven't it might not hear it. in a while, but I just... There's a lot of things I want to do. I want to link the front. I want to, first thing, though, is shocks. And then once the shocks are fixed, I can figure out, like, okay, now what is up with the ride? Like, where where do I want to spend my time and money? Where do I want to spend my time and money next? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Stop touching the microphone, Derek. <laughs> Clearly, it's something about that because whenever you touch the microphone, it's like your volume it's, goes to almost nothing. It's got to be the the cord. Well, you need to replace it, or you need to tell Steve that he needs to send you one. Like he sent me this here Rode pod mic stand. It's so nice. It is nice. I want one because I have to t- put up and tear this one down every time. Whereas I do too I have- because this is attached to my where my drawer would be. Because I haven't figured oh. out a good way to attach this apparatus yeah, to my you, antique desk. Because I want to drill a like, hole in it. You were like, you were like, 37 pounds, is that enough or whatever? Oh I yeah, we were be. talking about getting a piece of plate steel and setting it on the desk to support yeah, this. I think, I think that would be fine and you were like worried about rust or something, but just paint it. <laughs> well, that's what I thought too, but Steve was concerned. I was like, it's not going to like, the paint's not going to flake off inside. It's inside a house. It's not like it's out in the elements. Paint it and then put like... The little rubber or oh yeah, little rubber feet, feet or something. Yeah, on the bottom of a chair. Yeah, and then you'll be fine. You won't. Also, it would just desk. be cool to have a half inch plate steel sitting on my desk. Hell yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Do it. I probably should. That's probably the that's the game plan. And if it's like, it depends where you drill it too. So like, drill the hole on the side of that plate that's furthest from the mic cantilever. Oh right, so it'd be less likely to tip. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and this thing goes so far that I could get it, like, I could still get it close to me, even if it was on the back corner of the desk, which would be nice, because then at the end of the day, I could just swing the whole thing away from me and not worry about it. Exactly. That's what I want to do. I want to, I did my, I don't have an antique desk, so I would just clamp it to the edge of the desk, and when I'm done, it'd be like, wee, and just fling it up. Yeah. I wish that this desk had a bigger lip. That'd be great, but it doesn't. Yeah, maybe I'll just talk to Steve about getting a rude. Oh, that's so nice. You should. He just sent it to me. We were talking about it. Next thing you know, it showed up in the mail. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. Although I should yeah. thank Derek for the headset, and I 
think maybe also you for the microphone or maybe this is steve one of you guys gave me the microphone somebody gave me the headset i gave you the headset i think steve gave you the microphone yeah and it's just a usb mic but it does a job i sound not good enough hopefully yeah you sound great this this one's a usb mic too but for some reason it wasn't it didn't sound as good through usb as it does with the i don't remember what kind of connection it is it still plugs into my computer with usb but the connection is just like regular microphone connection to mm-hmm. USB. That's right. Interesting. So the, for some reason that cable produces crisp sounds. That's right. Ooh, so smooth. So smooth. Like Keith Stone. Like Keith Stone. Mike, remember <laughs> when you went on Halloween as Keith Stone? I'll never forget. <laughs> so you probably don't remember the end of the night, but neither do I. Oh, God. <laughs> We're- well- was, was that the night that we went to like some sorority party or frat party or something? Or? Frat party, I think. Oh, God. I don't remember if I was in college or not, but I lived in Champaign still at the time. Was that the night I walked home? Uh, yeah, but you didn't live in near Thomasboro. No, I lived in Champaign, but that was still a you hell did. of a walk because I was pissed drunk. And it was probably a good couple miles. Probably good that you didn't drive, though. Oh, definitely good that I didn't drive. Yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, that was some party. Different. I think I'd forgotten to eat dinner that night or something, and then I drank like a case of Keystone Light. Yeah, it was it was bad. You stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't stop it though. Anyway, I didn't stop it. I should have stopped. Times, it. man. Yeah, we had some fun back in the day. Show did. I was way too different. Different times now. Yep. Now my phone's chasing a toddler. That's fun too, right? It is actually kind of fun. Hey, so this is not off-road related, but it's hey. still good information, I feel like. Me and Patty have been trying to figure out how to schedule time so that both of us can accomplish things on the weekend, and we finally decided that we just didn't need a game plan on Friday. And so we did that today, and she was able to write like most of a paper because she had several hours. And then after his nap, I went out and to the shop and I got a bunch of projects. Well, not a bunch of projects, but I got that welding done and a couple other small things around the house. And like at the end of the day, he went to bed and we were both like, yeah, that totally worked. So we did stuff and we still got to spend some time with him together, which is also important, obviously. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really tough to figure that out, especially when you have a lot going on to to figure out how, how to manage your time so that you can both spend quality time with your kid but still accomplish things because before what would happen is one of us would be watching him and the other one would like maybe not be getting anything done, but also not really spending quality time with him either because of guilt. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of eliminate the guilt and you say, no, like from this moment to this moment, you can do whatever the hell you want. And then it eliminates the guilt and then you can still, uh, you know, get things done. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good, that's like a good life skill. Even if you don't have a kid, yeah, I suppose so. Like, schedule some time to just like go fuck off, and like, if you're not getting productive stuff done. Who cares? You're you told yourself you could do that. Yeah, like, we uh, even what do they call that? Like uh, self care. Yeah, I mean, everybody needs some time to themselves. I, I'm a social butterfly, and I I love people and love being around people all the time. But even I get burnt out on people, and sometimes just need to be alone. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, it's good if you don't have a kid and you need to schedule some time for yourself. Like typically me and Patty will sit down and watch a show after dinner and like hang out and, and tell the moment we go to bed. But sometimes I'm like, 
I'm just going to go build an RC car. And she's like, cool, mm-hmm. I'm just going to binge watch some show that you hate. And what like, great. And then we just do that. And then we're both happy. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's make some time for yourself. Definitely do some time. You should. It's, it's great to spend time together, but it's great to spend time part two. I started. So Emily's been doing this um, improv. She did improv class. She like went to an improv like open. It's not like it's not like open mic, but it's like as if, if there was an open mic for improv. Mm-hmm. And she like really liked it. And so she took a class. And uh, she did her like, uh, like they did a show at the end of the class, and I got to watch, and she was really funny. It was just, it was really funny in general. Um, and we went to dinner later, and she was like, "There's this jam thingy at the end of the month or whatever," and I was like, "You want me to go?" And she was like, "Yeah, I was like, fine." And I did it, and it was a fucking lot of fun, man. Oh, I was nice. terrible, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're not great at improv, Derek. I mean, she said I was pretty good, so I was like, whatever. But I felt like I did terribly. <laughs> it's funny. I, think she I mean, meant I'm sure I did good for like a first timer, I guess, but it was still fun. So, speaking of doing things that are out of my comfort zone, we weren't really talking about that, but it was a no. weird new thing that I did, and I'm like, I might do that again. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. that sounds great. Good to, it's good to try new things, I think, in general. And that was something I never even thought about. So That's wonderful. Yep. It's going to make you more quick. When people insult you, you'll be like, I got one for <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it'll help with public speaking a little bit. I'm not Probably. scared of public speaking, but I definitely could be more, I don't know, be better with my words. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's taking improv class. That's right. Those are my last words then. I was actually wondering how long we've been podcasting for, but I can't seem to find the the thing. We're just a little over an hour, minus the break. So we're probably right at an hour. Oh, okay. We don't have to stay uh... super long. We talked about some stuff. Um, I don't, I think I might be going on a not that exciting or aggressive off road trip next weekend. A not that exciting off road trip, man. That sounds not that exciting. Okay, not that, not that, not that it's not exciting. I, I shouldn't say that. Like, it's not like it won't be like an iconic trail. It'll be up in the Sierras. It won't be challenging for my rig, um, but it'll just be good to get out with some people and do some wheeling. So I'll have maybe some wheeling to report back on. I feel like I never end up going on trips that it's not that challenging. Like, not not to say that bad but i feel like i've always wanted to go somewhere where maybe the wheeling is okay but the scenery is like out of this world i'm just not sure that i've ever done that wheeling trip that'll that'll be this trip i think for me is like the scenery is going to be spectacular i mean the rubicon and fordice the scenery was spectacular and the wheeling was hard um this time it'll be like the scenery is spectacular the wheeling is not hard i feel like when the wheeling is hard much like any sort of driving, like when I'm driving, I'm focused on the road as one should be. But because of that, even on my drive home, like every day, my drive home from work, beautiful winding road next to a river, b- big, beautiful trees everywhere, all changing colors, you know, in the fall, all the reds and yellows and greens. It's just a gorgeous drive. And I feel like I don't even notice it because mm-hmm. I'm focused on the road. 
Is it I feel like that'd you're... be the nice thing about a wheeling trip that's not that hard is you actually have the time to like sit back, relax, and just enjoy being in nature. But do you think that the wheeling is sorry, do you think that the drive home is something because you do it every day, that's why you don't notice it? Like if you were driving in like the Rocky Mountains or the Appalachian Mountains for the first time. You would notice. You would notice, right? It could be. I think that's probably part of it. Cause like I also live in a very beautiful area now and like Every once in a while, I like snap out of the like, I'm just focusing on the road to be like, oh, shit, I live here. Like, holy crap, it's so beautiful today. Mm -hmm. You're Um, probably right. We take it for granted when we've been doing something for a while. Yeah. Or if you've had a long day and you're just like, I just want to go home, get home. Um, But yeah, so I think, like you said, like, but like on Ford Ice and the Rubicon, there was enough times to stop and be like, holy crap, this is incredible. Like, so beautiful. And. So anyway, this will be more of that, I guess. But that's the downside of the Midwest wheeling, I guess. Yeah, it's not really that beautiful here. It can be, you know, in the fall and spring and stuff. Like you were talking about going down to Missouri and pretty beautiful down there. And Badlands is not the most beautiful off-road park. It's a great off-road park. It has almost everything and every difficulty level, but it's like not the prettiest. Yeah, that's very true. So, well, I'm glad that you're going to go somewhere pretty, even if it's not that hard. Hopefully you'll still have a good time, hang out with some good people. I mean, like even a, even an easy park is still four wheeling, you know, it'll still be fun. Yeah. And I won't have to probably do a whole bunch of maintenance on my rig after I hope. Hopefully you don't break your truck on a very easy trail. I mean, on Ford (laughs) Ice, I popped the tire on like an access, basically an access road. I, I feel like I, Maybe it's because I'm not paying attention or something, but like I feel like I break more stuff on not difficult obstacles than I do on difficult obstacles. Oh, yeah. Including tie rod ends. <laughs> oh, my God. Seriously, though. <sighs> Derek. That's part of the like when I move the steering forward, like I'll go high steer and get rid of the offset tie rod ends and that'll be a thing of the past. Can't wait. Move the steering box forward, I mean. I can't wait for you to do that. Me either. So, yeah, man. Should we wrap this episode up and go play some SnowRunner? Yeah, let's do it. I actually have opened it just to make sure that like it's nice. going to happen. That's awesome. So we're going to attempt to play SnowRunner on the Patreon, and uh, we're going to record it. I, hopefully Derek can figure that out because I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> and uh we'll see we'll see how that we're goes have, what we're gonna do i'm gonna record my screen and we'll just go on an off-road adventure in snow runner together and mike will just lead so everybody can see what he's doing and, and my vehicle at the same time okay as long as uh as long as we're just wheeling and we're not trying to deliver a gigantic yeah. semi-trailer somewhere and i just get stuck in the mud and get mad like usual. <laughs> i think that's what we should do we should just go like find an off-road trail on one of the maps and just go wheeling together I can't wait. Virtually. I can't so wait to roll anybody, my rig. It's going to be the best. It'll be the best. If anybody wants to, we'll, we'll post both an audio version and a video version on Patreon. But if you haven't joined the Patreon yet, now's a great opportunity. This could be hilarious. It probably will be hilarious. It, it'll probably be hilarious because I haven't played this game since I played with Derek last and it's been several months. So I probably <laughs> yeah, forgot how to play anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the first part of the Patreon will be me teaching Mike how to play again. <laughs> can't wait 
Uh, we better we better uh, we'll shout out our partners real quick. Uh, we're going to do it a little differently. We're not going to do a spiel. I'm just going to say them. And uh, we're kind of. I will say one spiel about Complete Off Road though, because um, you know I I talked to Chris and he got me another set of offset tire red ends like right at the last minute for four dice because I broke both of them on Rubicon and as usual Complete Off Road came through no questions asked and they got me the black zinc coated you know they I shipped them the the race line bolts they stripped them and black zinc coated them and then shipped them back with those tie rod ends um and so so rich thank you for that they look great um make the race lines look even better than they do with the gold ones so really happy to have them so if you whatever you need for your off-road rig give give chris and rich at complete off-road a, uh, a call 563-583-5363 well, now that you've totally hyped up the one, I'm going to name the other ones very nonchalant. Crawler Off-Road for your recovery gear. Morflate for inflation and deflation devices. Off-Road Anonymous for your fabrication and fun parts. Rad Designs if you're trying to get your shift on. And Summershine Supply when your rig is dirty and it needs to be shiny. And that'll do it for this episode of the Total Offer Podcast. That's episode 191. And we'll catch you on the trail. Laters. Laters.